Well, good morning, everyone. How are you all today? Good. Uh, my name is Jared Perry, if we haven't gotten to meet yet. I'm the pastor of Eastlake Fellowship, which is fun to say because we launched last week. Um, yeah, we're really excited. Um, I told the first service, I promise there will be a Sunday where I preach here and I don't do an Eastlake update to start, but that Sunday's not today. Um, so uh, we did launch. Uh, we've been so thrilled. And I just want to begin before I show you some pictures with just a huge thank you. Uh, everyone here has been such a blessing. And worshiping with you this morning has been a, just a genuine pleasure. Uh, I was tearing up in the first service um, just with how meaningful it is to be back with so many people who've supported us, not just professionally. Obviously, there's been a ton that uh, you guys have done to help us get off the ground as Eastlake Fellowship, but also personally, the way that uh, so many people have invested in me and my family and our core team, the way that y'all have asked about how we're doing, have reached out. We're just so grateful. Um, so thank you very much. But let's show you some pictures. So um, we wanted to capture these moments a little bit to be able to share. And so here we are in our space at Central Lutheran Church, which is right there on Easton Road, kind of on the south side of the Lockwood area. Um, and so we've been able to use their fellowship hall and kind of create some of this space for ourselves. And so um, you can see our team there worshiping. We had a few guests with us last week. Some are going to come back and some people were visiting from other churches that just wanted to come and support us. So we can go to the second slide. Um, yeah, and, and just get a picture for, for what things look like. You know, it was a first Sunday. There were some messy parts. During the benediction, I said, um, for God's good and our glory. Um, <laughs> that's great. Fantastic. Clayton was very kind and was like, well, we are glorified in the Lord, but uh, that's not at all what that was supposed to be. Uh, and then we had this last picture. Uh, I think I loved it, seeing some of the kids and seeing kind of the next generation there involved. But uh, I wanted you to get to see, to get to celebrate with us, to see what the Lord was doing, um, and yeah, be able to find the joy that we found in this process. Um, I do want to let you know a couple things. One, first and foremost, we'd love for you to come visit, right? This is not a pressure thing. We're not trying to like steal you from White Rock or anything like that, but in our minds, you've been a part of this for us. You have been celebrating and investing in us throughout this process, and we'd love to have you come sometime. We meet at 4.30 on Sunday afternoons, and I'm not preaching the same thing. So you're not going to hear the same sermon. And as long as there's not a Cowboys game, then hopefully, right, it should line up well with your Sunday afternoons, and you should be able to come spend some time with us. We'd love to have you anytime. Come just be there to see what God has done through you and through the work of White Rock Fellowship. I'd also love to invite you, and I know I've said this before, um, to consider potentially partnering with us in our kids' ministry. Um, last week for our launch, we were able to have someone come from here at White Rock, uh, and then we also had uh, two people from our sister church at Eastside Community Church who came in and they helped serve our kids. And so uh, that was such a blessing for us. Uh, it allowed our core team to be present to meet those new visitors, to get to talk to them, and allow them to be there to worship together and celebrate with one another. Um, and so we'd love for you to consider if you have a free hour and a half on a Sunday afternoon this fall, uh, please come find me. I would love for you to talk about, hey, could you come and help us by serving our kids? Uh, that would be a huge, huge blessing for us. So, um, okay. Before we get started in Nehemiah, I would love for us to start, take a second and pray, if you will. So um, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for today. We are so thankful that, um, Lord, to be here with brothers and sisters who have walked through a process with us that's been hard and long, but has culminated in this beautiful moment of celebrating and worshiping our God who brings us together. 
Father, I pray and ask that this morning would be a morning in which we can look into your word and find the truths of who you are that brings comfort and life to us. God, help us not to be distracted um, by the things of this world, not to be distracted by our own doubts and fears. But God, that your presence would be here today and that we would just be aware of what you're doing and what you've said to us through your word. And so I want to ask you to take a second and pray for yourself. You know what's been going on in your life this week. You know what's been in your head and in your heart. Maybe it's something that's distracting you because you've, there's something you need to get done or maybe there's something you're afraid of. Maybe there's places where, like Kyle said, you've, you've maybe lost hope. This is an opportunity to bring that to the Lord today. To be honest with him, to confess. And tell him what's going on. So that he might speak to you. If you would pray also for your neighbors in this room. Pray for those around you. That the enemy would not be able to distract them this morning, but that the Lord would be able to speak to their hearts and minds, that they would be clear, that they would listen well, and that the presence of God would be known by them. And then finally, if you would pray for me, I have a, I have a very, um, not superficial, but, but like physical prayer request today. I coached a football game yesterday. I'm preaching three sermons today. And I, and I would ask that you just pray for my voice, genuinely, um, that it would be able to sustain itself through both this service and ours this, af- this afternoon. Well, Father, we ask these things because we cannot manifest them or make them happen on our own. We need you. And so we pray them in hope and in trust and in your son's name by the power of the spirit. Amen. Amen. So one part I left out on that Eastlake update is some of you may know, some of you may not. Um, today wasn't supposed to be our second Sunday. It should have been our fourth. Um, we were supposed to launch on September 10th. Uh, we were supposed to have launched four weeks ago. Uh, but y'all, things got crazy. <laughs> it got absolutely Bonkers. So the week we were supposed to launch that first Monday, our youngest son just started throwing up out of nowhere, right? Um, just had this, he has these episodes that he gets. He hadn't had one in 18 months, had one that Monday, right? We had planned to take our oldest out to the Rangers Astros game for his birthday. Now my youngest couldn't go, my wife couldn't go, right? Everything that we had planned to try and celebrate in this week got changed. My youngest is throwing up and vomiting everywhere. Um, my sleep schedule got insane because I started waking up with crazy anxiety, crazy insecurity, crazy doubt in the midst of everything that was going on. So multiple nights, I'm waking up from just awful, awful nightmares. Members of our core team, good marriages, good families, um, people who have been all healthy and dealing with nothing all of a sudden that week, everything's falling apart for them. They're all dealing with struggles and trials. And then we get to Friday night, like 36 hours before we're starting to launch. I feel awful. I am late in bed, half falling asleep. And we realize, oh, I have gotten COVID. Y'all, it's not 2020. Like, what is happening, right? 
Here we are just a few hours before we're supposed to launch this church, and it feels like everything has been working against us that week, right? And we know, right, we believe in the enemy's work. We believe in spiritual attack and spiritual oppression, but it just felt so real, right? And we just had to push our launch back date two weeks, right? At the end of the, at the, end of the day, two weeks is nothing. And yet, even in that moment, we build and we worked so hard to launch on September 10th. It was so deflating. It was so challenging. And it felt like everyone was against us. We're we're turning in this chapter of four of Nehemiah to a moment when the people of Israel are also finding that everything feels like they are against them. If you'll remember the story, right? The people of Israel have been captured, taken into exile out of the land. And they've been in captivity for a number of years now. But God has been slowly, through his grace, giving them the opportunities to come back. And Nehemiah is part of a group that has come back, as Kyle said, to rebuild this city. In chapter 1, things went amazingly well. Not only did the king grant to them the ability to come back, but he even blessed them, right? He gave them some materials. He wanted to help this process happen. And so the people come back and they start the hard work and they're starting to face some opposition. But things are mostly going pretty well and they're praying to the Lord But then we get to chapter four and we see this opposition is going to ramp up. Look with me in verses one through three. It says, now when Sambalot had heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Y'all, that's a sick burn in biblical times, okay? (laughs) Take that for a moment, right? Foxes are not big animals, right? They didn't have a bunch of armies with like war foxes out running around jumping on walls because they're not going to break a wall down. They're telling you these walls are so feeble, they're so weak that even these light foxes could jump up on there and make everything crash and fall down. So these neighbors, this opposition, these enemies are jeering at the Jews. They're angry at what they're doing. They don't want them to accomplish this task. They're saying, no, we're not going to let this happen. And so... Nehemiah prays against them and they try to prepare and it tells us in verse six, they build the wall up and the wall was joined to half its height because of how hard the people worked. Well, this only made the opposition even more angry. Look in verse seven, when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Not only has the opposition now just making fun of them and giving them a hard time, right? Now we've brought in more opposition, right? We've brought in the Ashdodites. We've brought in the Arabs. We've brought in these other people to come in and say, okay, now we're going to actively fight against what you're trying to accomplish. And we want to bring confusion in. Not only do we want to fight against what's happening, we want to create confusion within your community, And sure enough, we're going to see that happen, right? 
They pray to the Lord. They set a guard. But this acts begin to work. Look in verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. You can miss this, but catch, like, these are the people with Nehemiah, right? These are the people in Judah. These aren't the enemies. These are the people of God who are now saying, this is too much. We're not going to be able to do this, okay? On top of that, the enemies are going in verse 11. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop their work. We've gone from just making fun of them to plotting against them to plotting to kill them. And finally, in verse 12, and at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. Not only has the opposition come from outside, it's also happening within the family, right? The people with Nehemiah are saying, we can't get this done. And Jews from around the country are like literally coming to them. It doesn't say once, twice, three times, 10 times they are arguing with them. You have to come home with us. You have to come back. It's not safe here. The opposition is too strong. This is a dangerous and challenging time for the people of God. The opposition and the threats are incredibly real. So Nehemiah takes a moment. He stations people to protect the walls. But then he's going to have this statement in verse 14. And this is what Nehemiah says. I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the officials, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. What is Nehemiah communicating? What is he saying here? He's telling us that God's people are prepared to persevere in the face of opposition. No matter how strong, no matter how challenging, no matter how much it seems like there's not a way forward, God's people are prepared to persevere in the face of opposition. What are the components of that preparation? What makes us ready to face this? Well, the first thing Nehemiah says is do not be afraid of them. He says, do not be afraid of them. It's a very clear statement, but it also can be quite challenging. I don't know if you deal with fear or anxiety or anything like that. I I do. And often when I'm struggling with those fears and with that anxious spirit, someone just saying, hey, don't be anxious, doesn't often help, right? It's often like, wow, thank, I hadn't thought of that. How incredible, <laughs> right? <laughs> Brilliant. And yet, Nehemiah is telling us, telling his people, do not be afraid of them. We had a moment when we were studying Romans in the preaching meetings where Kyle Fisher said something that has stuck with me over and over. He said, when, that is in this passage for a reason. And it sounds so simple, right? Like he's not going to get a doctorate for that statement, No offense, Kyle, he's great, right? But it's one of those moments because we can hear these texts, we hear these phrases, and we want to explain them away. We want to say, okay, don't be afraid, but here's all the reasons why my fear is justified, or here's all the reasons why my anxiety, the things I'm concerned about are actually reasonable, and I need to let them them play out a little bit more. 
No, Nehemiah is saying, even though you're being threatened to death, right? Even though these armies, these nations are coming and we don't even have walls to stand up to them. Do not be afraid of them. Now he's not saying that because fear is inherently a bad emotion, right? In Proverbs, we are told the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So fear itself does have a place for us. Feeling and experiencing fear is not like, oh my gosh, you should be so ashamed that you ever felt fear. The point here is not to make decisions and be driven by your fear, to not allow your fear of other things to control you, but instead to remember the Lord as we're going to get to in a second. But he starts with, because he knows the people are already questioning, should we be going with the Jews that have come to us that we need to go to other countries or other parts of the region? Should we, like other people here, say we can't rebuild these walls? It's just not going to happen. Should we stick with Nehemiah? Should we try and continue in this process? And so Nehemiah says, do not be afraid of them. Because he knows the people need to remember first that these enemies are not in control. That even in these darkest of circumstances, they are not without hope and they do not want to be afraid. And even as I was studying this week, I was like, okay, I get that. But also these guys are threatening to kill them. And then we remember that we serve a God who controls everything both in life and in death. That not even our death is beyond his control. It's outside of his goodness. That he can bring life to us even there. So we don't have to be afraid even of death. As much as it may hurt, as much as it stings. Do not be afraid. So for the people of God to move forward, Nehemiah recognizes that they can no longer be controlled by that fear. They can't live in a way that is dictated by the fear of what these opponents and these enemies will do but they have the ability to persevere. They have the ability to push through this opposition if they are able to overcome this fear and recognize the freedom that they have in the Lord. And that ties into his next point. Because Nehemiah then says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I love this verse because it sounds like how I talk about God just in my text messages, right? Like it sounds like how normal people talk. It's not one of those Bible passages where I'm like, I never would have said that word, right? These are words we actually use. God is great. God is awesome. It seems so simple and yet it's so profound. As we're singing and, and, and worshiping the Lord and singing his mercy is more this morning, I was just overwhelmed by that line. I stood neath a debt I could never afford. Part of that process, as I said, for me waking up in that week that we were supposed to launch, I was continually filled 
with thoughts of sins and failures in my past, of ways that I wasn't. Who am I to be starting a church? I, I have failed God so many times and in so many ways. I, I don't deserve to do this. I'm not the right person. I'm not good enough. And yet we remember that God's mercy is more than our debt. It's not that God has fixed me and made me better. I've messed up so many times this week, right? God doesn't need me to have righteousness in and of myself. He gave me righteousness through Jesus Christ because that's how good our God is, right? Our God is good enough and he loved us enough that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what he offers That is the awesomeness, the greatness of our God. And that is what allows us to persevere in the face of opposition because we know that that is the God that is beside us. Now, this call to remember, right? This isn't some like finding Nemo Dory thing where we just like forget, right? Where it's like, oh, we say something and then we've forgotten. This call to actively remember the Lord involves an active engagement. And it's something that's been a part of our process throughout the story of the people of God. We think back to Exodus, right? When the people of God are rescued out of Egypt and what does God do? He asks them to remember the Passover. He creates for them a structure so that they could actively work to remember God has rescued us. What does Jesus do? What do we do every week here at White Rock? He asks us that we would take the bread And take the cup together. For what? That we might remember. Remembrance is key for the people of God. It's a foundational component to who we are. Not because we're forgetful in the way that we think. But because the things of this world entice us to believe that they could fill the role that God himself was only ever meant to fill. And the fears of this world make us believe that God may not appear in the ways that are sufficient for us. And we lose hope and we begin to doubt and we begin to try and satisfy our needs in a way we were never intended to satisfy them. And so we have to remember because our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our souls in order to love God, need that practice to remind ourselves that he's great. He's great. And y'all, that's all of us. Even between the first service and the second service, that same song, His Mercy is More, hit me differently. (laughs) I had one good sermon and all of a sudden I'm like, oh God, I'm feeling good, right? And the weight of the need I have for his mercy wasn't as tangibly there. But singing it and reminding myself, oh, I can't pay this debt. I can't afford that. It's like I'm in the housing market right now, right? Like I can't get into that. I can't do that. That is so far beyond what's possible for me. But our God is great, and he is awesome, and it's not impossible for him. Finally, 
Nehemiah encourages them to fight for each other. Look at the end of verse 14. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I love that Nehemiah connects this to the relationships that they have with one another. See, the beauty of what God has called us to, the beauty of being a part of the people of God is that God hasn't just called us as individuals and said, hey, I'm awesome just to you and you go do your own thing and you go fight against this opposition all by yourself. No, you have a community that you get to be a part of, these people that you have a real relationship with, this home that is a place of rest and peace and dwelling for you. That's what you're fighting for. That's what you're working towards. You're not fighting against all this opposition out there, all these people that are out to get you. You're not fighting out of that. You're not fighting even against your own fear. You're not fighting against yourself. You're fighting for one another. We fight together. And we become unified in that process. For those of you that were here for the Roman study last year, right, that's so much of what we talked about, that this Roman church was being splintered and fractured and separated by things, and Paul was desperately trying to bring them back together. Unity is vital within the church. It's vital for the people of God. That's why Jesus says they will know us by our love for one another because our ability to be united, to fight for each other instead of fighting against some enemy out there, some opposition. Is part of what defines us as the people of God. Things, I, not to go back to 2020 too much, I didn't mean to do that this much in this sermon, but in, during the pandemic, one of the things that happened for us as a family was everyone was arguing over the TV, right? Who's getting to watch what and when? And it drove me crazy, right? I got to a point where I was like, I have to do something different. And so the plan that I had was let's carve out some time where there won't be arguing. And so I said, Friday nights is going to be our family movie night, right? Friday night's going to be a night. We're going to rotate who gets to pick. And that way I don't have to listen to anybody argue about who picked which show last or any of that stuff. One person is going to pick one movie for us to watch as a family. And it's going to be so peaceful. It'll be great. And y'all, it's, it's really been lovely. It's been one of my favorite things that we do. And we've taken our kids through all the classics, right? Lindsay Lohan's Parent Trap, right? Mighty Ducks, right, have been major hits, right? We're going through all the best movies. Um, but one of the films that we've introduced our kids to was, remember, The Titans, okay? I'll tell you, we actually had to do it twice. The first time we tried to introduce it to them, it was a little bit later than normal, and we got through five minutes of the movie in 25 minutes because we kept having to pause and answer questions because that movie introduces a lot of concepts that are very important for us to explain to our kids, but we realized... We need a lot more time if we're going to jump into this one. So we pushed it back. And when we finally did watch the film, it was really incredible to watch with our boys and get to experience that. Because I remember as a kid just how powerful that movie was and watching to see that team come together. And one of my favorite scenes, one of my favorite moments kind of takes place there at football camp. They're not even at playing games. They're out at camp trying to get ready to play games. And they're seeing that even in practice, players are playing for themselves right? You've got guys out there who are saying, I'm just going to get mine, right? I'm not going to worry about the team. I'm going to go get mine and I'm going to take care of myself. And that's all that's going to happen. And then Denzel has this brilliant idea where he wakes them up all early in the morning and he has them all go run out to Gettysburg, right? 
to a place where our country, our community fought this war. And we saw just how devastating the effects of war and conflict between one another can be. And he argues, he asks, he invites these kids to come together because if not, it will lead to their destruction. And so the very next scene, they're out at one of these night practices, right? And this isn't like Texas now where you've got football fields where you could play 24-7, right? These guys are having to light up the field with pickup trucks, right? That they've just got all along the side and their lights are on and you can barely see. And one of the players, right, one of the white players, again, doesn't block for a black player. And he gets killed and he gets destroyed because he's playing selfishly. He's practicing selfishly. And we have this moment where one of the the white players who's one of the leaders on the team comes up and finally gets in the face of one of his friends and says, you can't play selfishly. We've got to be a team. If you don't block for your teammate again, I'm going to lay you out. And you can see it in the eyes of the coaches and the other players. Hey, this is different. This is something that is different than everybody playing for themselves. It's bringing us together in this special way. If you watch the rest of the film, it doesn't make opposition go away, right? They still face a ton of opposition for black players and white players, black students and white students to be in the same school on the same team. Opposition from within and without. But that moment of coming together, that moment of unity and realizing we fight for each other completely changes the trajectory of that football team. And church, the people of God have an opportunity when opposition arises. You can try and fight all these external things. You can try and fight all the external opposition. You can try and wrestle just with yourself and deal with the stuff inside of you. Or you can come together and fight for each other. To look outside yourself. To help one another. And in doing so, let somebody else fight for you. To not have to just defend yourself, but let other people be there for you and fight for you. In doing those things, in remembering we don't have to be afraid, in remembering the Lord, in remembering that we can fight for each other, Nehemiah's people and our people are prepared to face whatever's going to come. Now, I'll be honest with you. Like, remember the Titans, the rest of this chapter is not easy, right? It's not like, oh, we had this great spiritual moment and now everybody feels good and just walks away and it's great. The people of God have to work. Nehemiah says in verse 16, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and the other half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Right? They had to start taking shifts. The people who were working had to work harder. People had to guard and be on guard duty. He, Nehemiah has to make this whole plan, right? He puts trumpets in certain places and tells the people, hey, if you hear the sound of a trumpet, we've got to drop what we're doing and go right there, 
We've got to be there to fight. We've got to be ready to go. He says in verse 16, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. But he also says, our God will fight for us. Because Nehemiah recognizes that even in their readiness, even in their work, they're still reliant on the presence and the power of the Lord. So we're going to see things like Nehemiah and his men never took off their clothes, right? They literally just kept on their work clothes because they were just working all the time. People who were working construction had a sword by their side. This isn't like my kid's sword that I carry around and I'm like, oh, this is fun, right? These are actual sharp swords that could cut you while you're working, but you've got to be ready. Facing opposition is not easy. I'm not here to tell you that the things that I've said today are just all of a sudden going to make everything feel better or feel easier. But what I can tell you is that you can have hope and confidence in the ability to persevere. The ability to see it through. Not because of us. Not because of our strengths and our plans. Because even when it seems that he is absent, we can remember that God has always rescued us. That he is always near. And that he is a God who sees. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day. We are grateful that you are a God to be remembered. You are not a God to be forgotten. You are not a God who asks us to proclaim your greatness and awesomeness without actually being great and awesome. But God, that you have contrived to rescue and save us. You have provided for us a vision of the future that gives actual hope and salvation. So Lord, I pray and ask today, For those of us that are in a season of opposition where it does feel like people are attacking, Lord, that that these truths that Nehemiah applies to his people rebuilding this wall would be those that we could take and recognize your goodness and work here now in our lives. And God, for those of us that aren't facing opposition, that may, may be in a season of wellness, of protection, Lord, that these truths would not fall on deaf ears, that we would remember the importance of remembering you, of working together, of properly understanding our fear and who to fear. But Father God, ultimately, we just ask this morning that in all things, we would remember how much you have provided to your people both in our ability to persevere in opposition, but Lord, also that you give to us the means to be saved. Father, we pray these things in your son's name by the power of the Spirit. Amen.